0: You're listening to KSOW, Olean on Public Radio. Recording by Eddie Sheffield Jr. at www.eddysheffield.com. Astounding Stories 10, October 1930 by various. Chapter 3: In the White House. Colonel Stopford's car had been parked around the corner of the building, and within a minute the four men were inside it. Stopford at the wheel and racing in the direction of the White House a nod to the guard at the gate and they were inside the grounds at the entrance a single guard in place of the four who should have been posted there challenged sharply and attempted to bar the way not recognizing dick or stopford in their civilian clothes where's your officer demanded stopford sharply half cowed by the colonel's manner the young recruit hesitated and the four swept him out of the way and hurried on the scene outside the main entrance to the white house was one of indescribable confusion Soldiers were swarming in confused groups, some trying to force an entrance, others pouring out. Every moment, civilians streaming over the lawn added to the number. Discipline seemed almost abandoned. From inside the building came outbursts of screams and cursing, the scuffling of a mob. Roscoe, Roscoe, shouted Stopford. Where's the president's secretary? Who's seen him? Let us pass immediately no one paid the least attention to him but a short bareheaded civilian who was struggling in the crowd heard and shouted an answer waved his arms and began to force his way toward the fore it was roscoe the secretary of president hargreaves the president was a childless widower and roscoe lived in the white house with him and was intimately in his confidence roscoe gained stopford's side say they've got him he panted they've got him somewhere inside the building they're trying to get him out we've got to save him but we can't see them or him "'They've made him invisible, too, curse them. "'I heard him crying, help me, Roscoe. "'He saw me, I tell you, and I didn't know where he was.' The little secretary was almost incoherent with fear and anger. The five men, forming in a wedge, hurled themselves forward. Out of the White House entrance appeared a tall officer, revolver in hand. It was Colonel Simpson of the President's staff. Half beside him, he swept the weapon menacingly about him, shouting incoherently and clearing a passage into which the five hurled themselves.' stopford seized his revolver hand and after a brief struggle simpson recognized him he's in the building he shouted wildly somewhere upstairs i'm trying to form a cordon but this damned mob's in the way kick those civilians out he cried to the soldiers shoot them if they don't go guard the windows stopford and dick at the head of the wedge pushed past into the white house the interior was packed men were struggling frantically on the staircase it seemed hopeless to try to do anything suddenly renewed yells sounded from above a scream of anguish howls of terror There came a downward surge, then a forward and upward one, which carried the two men up the stairs and into the President's private apartments above. In the large reception room a mob was struggling at a window, beneath a blaze of electric light. A soldier was standing there like a statue, his face fixed with a leer of horror. In his hands was a rifle, with a blood-stained bayonet dripping upon the hardwood floor at the edge of the rug. Upon the rug itself a stream of blood was spouting out of the air. Dick looked at the sight and choked. There was something appalling in the sight. It was the quintessence of horror, that widening pool of blood staining the rug and flowing from an invisible body that writhed and twisted, while moans of anguish came from unseemed lips. Colonel Stopford leaped back, livid and staring. "'God, it's got eyes! Two eyes!' he shouted. Dick saw them too. The eyes, which alone were visible, were about six inches from the floor, and they were appearing and disappearing as they opened and shut alternately. It was a man lying there, a dying man, pierced by the soldier's bayonet by pure accident, dying and yet invisible. The mob had scattered with shrieks of terror, but a few bolder spirits remained in a thin circle about that fearful thing on the rug. Dick bent over the man and felt the outlines of the writhing body. It was a man apparently dressed in some sort of uniform, but this was covered from the top of the head to the feet with a sort of sheer silken garment bifurcating below the waist and resembling a cocoon. It seemed to appear and alternately to vanish. Dick seized the filmy stuff in his fingers, rent it, and stripped it away yells of terror and amazement broke from the throats of all instantly the thin circle of spectators had become reinforced by a struggling mass of men the half-visible cocoon clung to dick's body like spider webs but the man who had been wearing it had sprung instantly into view beneath the cluster of electric lights he was a fair-haired young fellow of about thirty years his features white and set in the agony of death he was dressed in a trim uniform of black with silver braid and on his shoulders were the insignia of a lieutenant He opened his eyes, blue as the skies, and stared about him. He seemed to understand what had happened to him. Dogs, he muttered. Shrieks of fury answered him. The mob surged toward him as if to grind his face to pieces under their feet, and then recoiled, mouthing and gibbering. But it was at Dick that they were looking, not at the dying man. He raised himself upon one elbow with mighty effort. His Majesty, the Invisible Emperor, long be his reign triumphant, he chanted. It was his last credo the words broke from his lips accompanied by a torrent of red foam his head dropped back his body slipped down he was gone and no one seemed to observe his passing they were all screaming and gibbering at dick renell renell yelled stopford where are you renell god man what's happened to your legs dick looked down at himself for a moment he had the illusion that he was a head in a trunk floating in the air his lower limbs had become invisible except for patches of trousering that seemed to drift through space The mob in the room had fallen back, gaping at him in horror. Then Dick understood. It was the invisible garment that had coiled itself about him. He tore it from him and became visibly a man once more. Shouts from another room, a surging movement of the crowd toward it, the muffled sounds of an automatic pistol fitted with a silencer, then screams. The devils are in there. They're murdering the soldiers. There followed a panic-stricken rush, more muffled firing, and then the sharp roar of rifles and the fall of plaster some one was bawling the president's name the room became a mass of milling human beings lost to all self-control a bedlam of noise and struggle men fought with one another blindly cursing soldiers fired promiscuously among the mob riddling the walls stabbing at the air the plaster was falling in great chunks everywhere filling the rooms with a heavy white cloud in which all choked and struggled the yells of the civilian mob below struggling helplessly in the packed crowd that wedged the great stairway made babble outside the white house a dense mob that filled the lawns was yelling back and struggling to gain admittance suddenly the lights went out they've cut the wires rose a wild wailing voice the devils have cut the wires kill them kill everybody his cry ended in a gurgle somewhere in the dark hell a struggle was going on a well-defined struggle different from the random aimless battling of the half-crazed soldiers and the civilians president hargreaves was still within the walls of the white house it was known it was physically impossible for him to have been carried away when every foot of space was packed, and through that darkness the invisible assailants were edging him foot by foot toward the outside. Dick was on the edge of this silent battle. He sensed it. braced himself against a bureau while the mob surged past him, he tried to pierce the gloom, to reinforce with his perceptions what his instinct told him. A soldier crazed with fear came leaping at him, bayonet leveled. He thrust with a grunt. Dick avoided the glancing steel by a hand's breadth and as the impetus of the man's attack carried him forward caught him beneath the chin with a stiff right-hand jolt that sent him sprawling from below the cries broke out again with renewed violence they've got the president get them get them close all doors and windows but a door went crashing down somewhere to the tune of savage yells the mob was pouring down the stairs it was growing less packed above dick heard stopford's voice calling his name here sir he shouted back and the two men collided for god's sake do what you can renell shouted the colonel they've got the president downstairs they had him in this very room in the thick of it all i heard him cry out as if under a gag they put one of those damned cloths over him god renell i'm going crazy the upper floor of the white house was almost empty now dick thrust himself into the crowd that still jammed the stairs he reached the ground floor it was lighter here but a glance showed him that it was impossible to attempt to restore any semblance of order the big east room was jammed with a fighting cursing throng Dick stumbled over the bodies of those who had fallen in the press or had been shot down. Outside the mob was thickening, swarming through the grounds and screeching like madmen. Nothing could be done. Dick found himself caught once more in the human torrent. Presently he was wedged up against a broken window. He precipitated himself through the frame, dropped to the ground, stopped for an instant to catch his breath. The yelling mob was congregated about the main entrance of the White House, and on this side the grounds were comparatively empty as dick stopped trying desperately to form some plan of action he heard footsteps and low voices near him then two men came toward him followed by three or four others the men but though the light was faint dick realized instantly that they were wearing invisible garments he could see nothing of them he could see through where they seemed to be the trees the buildings of the streets yet they were at his elbow and they saw him he heard one of them leap and sprang aside as the butt of a pistol descended through the air and dropped where his head had been yet no hand had seemed to hold it it had been a pistol reversed and flashing downward to be arrested in mid-air six inches from his face but the men were not wholly invisible nearly six feet above the ground three or four pairs of eyes were staring malevolently into dick's only the eyes were there the two foremost men were breathing heavily they were carrying something grotesquely through a rent in the invisible garment dick saw a patch of trouser he heard a muffled sigh president hargreaves in the hands of his abductors Dick's actions were reflex. As the pistol hung beside his face, he snatched at it, wrested it away, struck with it, and heard a curse and felt the yielding impact of bone and flesh. He had missed the head, but struck the shoulder. The next moment hands gripped the weapon, and a desperate struggle began. It was torn from Dick's grasp. He struck out at random, and his fist collided with the chin of a substantial flesh-and-blood human being. Invisible arms grasped him. He fought free. The pistol slashed his face sidewise, the sight ripping a strip of flesh from the cheek. He was surrounded, and he was being beaten down, though he was fighting gamely. Kill the swine! Shoot! Shoot! Dick heard one of his assailants muttering. Out of the void appeared the blue muzzle of another automatic with a silencer on it. Dick ducked as a flame spurted from it. He felt the bullet stir his hair. He grasped at the hand that held it and missed. Then he was held fast, and the muzzle swung implacably toward his head again. Helpless, he watched it describe the arc of death. It was only later that he wondered why he had fought all the while in silence instead of crying for help. But of a sudden, the pistol was dashed aside. A woman's voice spoke, peremptorily, in some language Dick did not understand, and he saw her eyes among the eyes that glared at him, dark eyes that he knew, even if the voice had not revealed her identity. The eyes and voice of Fredegon Valmy. Dick cried her name. He put forth all his strength in a final struggle. Suddenly, he felt a stunning impact on the back of his head. He slipped, reeled, threw out his hands, and sank down unconscious on the grass at the side of the path. CHAPTER Four: THE INVISIBLE AMBASSADOR Fredegon valmy implicated in the conspiracy. That was the first thought that flashed into Dick's mind as he recovered consciousness. He might have suspected it, but the idea that the girl he loved was bound up with the murderous gang that was attacking the very foundations of civilization chilled him to the soul. Dick had been picked up a few minutes after he had been struck down, identified by Colonel Stopford as he was about to be removed to a hospital and carried into the White House order had been restored by the arrival of a detachment of troops from fort myers the severed cables located and mended and by midnight the interior of the presidential home had been made habitable again president hargreaves was gone kidnapped despite the utmost efforts to protect him and it was impossible to conceal that fact from the world but the wheels of government still revolved all night an emergency council set in the white house and deciding that in a time of such grave danger heroic means must be adopted with the consent of such of the congressional leaders as could be summoned a council of defense was organized the whole country east of the mississippi was placed under martial law the fleet and army were put on a war footing flights of airplanes were assembled at numerous points along the eastern seaboard to this council donald was attached as head of intelligence for the eastern division yet all this availed little unless the location of the invisible empire could be ascertained and, despite telegraphic reports that came in hourly, alleging to have discovered its headquarters, nothing had been achieved in this direction. The garment taken from the slain soldier had been examined by a half-dozen of the leading chemists of the East. Pending the arrival from New York of the celebrated Professor Hossmeyer, it was deposited under military guard in a dark closet. The result was unfortunate. The garment exhibited to the assembled scientist was a mere bifurcated silken bag, the gas with which it had been impregnated though it had been heavy enough to adhere to the fabric for hours had also been volatile enough to have disappeared completely leaving a residue which was identified as a magnesium isotope equally spectacular had been the disappearance of mademoiselle fredegon valdny a cable from the slovakian ambassador had arrived a few hours later denying her authenticity and with her disappearance came the discovery that she had been at the head of an espionage system with ramifications in every state department and in every statesman's home. Three days passed with no sign from the enemy. The council sat all day. In the executive offices of the White House Dick toiled ceaselessly, planning, receiving reports, organizing the flights of airplanes at strategic points throughout his district. From time to time he would be summoned to the council at night he threw himself upon a cot in his office and slept asleep broken by the constant arrival of messengers and still there was no clue to the location of the headquarters of the marauders but in those three days there had been no sign of them hope had succeeded despair in the rebound of confidence the populace was beginning to ridicule the nationwide precautions against what were coming to be considered merely a gang of super criminals it was even whispered that president hargreaves had not been kidnapped at all the Freemans' Party accused the government of a plot to subvert popular liberties. Dick received a summons on the third evening. Utterly worn out with his work, he pulled himself together and made his way into the Blue Room, where a council was assembled. Vice-President Tomlinson, an elderly man, was in the chair. A nonentity pushed into the post, it had been thought he would adorn innocuously. He had been overwhelmed by his succession to the Chief Office of State. Tomlinson did not like Dick or any of the hustling younger officers who, unlike himself, realized the real significance of the danger that overhung the country. He sat pompously in his leather chair, regarding Dick as he entered in obedience to the summons. "'Well, Captain Rennell, what have you to report to us this evening?' he inquired, as Dick saluted and stood to attention at the table. "'We're improving our concentrations, Mr. Vice-President. "'We've eight flights of seaplanes scouring the coast "'in the hope of locating the stronghold of the invisible Emperor. "'We've—' "'I'm sick and tired of that title,' shouted Tomlinson. He sprang to his feet, his face flushed with anger. His nerves had broken under the continuous strain. "'I'll give you my opinion, Captain Rennell," he said, "'and that is that this so-called invisible emperor is a myth. A gang of thieves has invented a paint that renders them inconspicuous, has created a panic, and has taken advantage of it to terrorize the country. The whole business is poppycock, in my opinion, and the sooner this bubble bursts, the better. Well, sir, what have you to say to that?' have you ever seen any of these men in their visible clothing if i may ask mr vice-president inquired dick trying to keep down his anger his nerves too were badly frazzled no sir i have not but my opinion is that this story is grossly exaggerated and that the persons responsible are the reporters of our sensational press thundered tomlinson he looked about him a weak man proud of having asserted his authority somebody laughed tomlinson glared at dick his rubicund visage purpling but it was not dick who had laughed nor any one at the council table that laugh had come from the wall beside the door again it broke forth high-pitched cold derisive all heads turned as if upon pivots to see who had uttered it good god exclaimed secretary norris of the war department and slumped in his chair five feet eight inches from the floor a pair of gray eyes looked at the council members out of emptiness gray eyes a man's eyes cool contemptuous and filled with authority with a contemptuous sense of superiority that left every man there dumb Dick was the first to recover himself. He stepped forward, not to where the invisible man was standing, but to a point between him and the door. That cold laugh broke forth again. Gentlemen, I am an ambassador from my sovereign, who chooses to be known as the invisible emperor, came the words. As such, I claim immunity. Not that I greatly care, should you wish to violate the laws of nations and put me to death, but believe me, in such case, the retribution will be a terrible one. Suddenly, the envoy peeled off the gas-impregnated garments that covered him, He stood before the council, a fair-haired young man, clad in the same fashion of trim black uniform as the bayoneted soldier had worn upstairs three nights before. He bowed disdainfully, and it was Tomlinson who shouted, Arrest that man! I know his face! I've seen it in the papers. He's von Kettler, the murderer who escaped from jail in an invisible suit. Oh, come, Mr. Vice-President, laughed von Kettler. Are you sure this isn't all very much exaggerated? Tomlinson sank back in his chair, his ruddy face covered with sweat, dick stared at von kettler a suspicion was forming in his mind he had seen eyes like those before dark instead of gray and yet with the same look of pride and breeding in them the look of the face too impossible to mistake he knew fredegon valmy was von kettler's sister well gentlemen am i to receive the courtesies of an ambassador inquired von kettler advancing you shall have the privileges of the gallows rope shouted tomlinson arrest that man at once captain Rennell." "'Pardon me, Mr. Vice-President,' suggested the Secretary for the Navy, blandly, "'but perhaps it would be more desirable to hear what he has to say. "'Immunity for thieves, robbers, and murderers.' "'Might I suggest,' said von Kettler suavely, "'that, since the United States has honoured my master by placing itself upon a war footing, "'it has accorded him the rights of a belligerent.' "'We'll hear you, von Kettler,' said the Secretary of State, glancing along the table. three or four nodded, two shook their heads. Tomlinson only glared speechlessly at the intruder.' "'Von Kettler advanced to the table and laid a paper upon it. "'You recognize that signature, gentlemen?' he asked. "'At the bottom of the paper Dick saw scrawled the bold and unmistakable signature of President Hargreaves. "'An order signed by the President of your country,' purred von Kettler, "'ordering your military forces replaced upon a peace footing, "'and the acceptance of our conditions. "'They are not onerous and will not interfere with the daily life of the country. "'Merely a little change in that outworn document, the Constitution. "'My master rules America henceforward.' somebody laughed another laughed but it was the secretary of state who did the fine thing he took up the paper bearing what purported to be president hargreave's signature and tore it in two the people of this country are her rulers he said not an old man dragooned into signing a proclamation while in captivity if indeed that is president hargreave's signature there came a sudden burst of applause von kettler's face became the mask of a savage beast he shook his fist furiously you call my master a forger he shouted You yourselves repudiate your own constitution, which places the control of army and navy in the hands of your president. You refuse to honor his signature. Listen to me, von Kettler, the voice of the Secretary of State cut like a steel edge. You totally mistake the temper of the people of this country. We don't surrender even to worthy adversaries, much less to a gang of common thieves, murderers, and criminals like yourselves. You have been accorded the privilege you sought, that of an envoy, and that was straining the point. Show yourself here again after two minutes have elapsed, and you'll go to the gallows for keeps. "'Dog!' shouted von Kettler, beside himself with fury. "'Your doom is upon you even at this moment. "'But I have but to wave my arm, and Washington shall be destroyed, "'and with her a score of other cities. "'I tell you, you are at our mercy. Thousands of lives shall pay for this insult to my master. "'I warn you, such a catastrophe is coming, "'as shall show you the invisible emperor does not threaten in vain.' "'With complete nonchalance, the secretary of state took out his watch.' one minute and fifteen seconds remaining captain renell he said at the expiration of that time put von kettler under arrest i advise you to go back to your master quickly von kettler he added and tell him that we'll have no dealings with him now or ever for a moment longer von kettler stood glaring then with a laugh of derision and a gesture of the hands he vanished from view and though they might have expected that denouement the members of the council leaped to their feet staring incredulously at the place where he had been Nothing in von Kettler was visible, not even the eyes, and there sounded not the slightest footfall. Dick sprang forward to the door, but his outstretched arms encountered only emptiness. In spite of the Secretary of State's instructions, he was almost minded to apprehend the man, if he could get him. The corridor was empty. A guard of soldiers was at the entrance, but they did not block the entrance. Even now von Kettler might be passing them. Why didn't his feet sound upon the floor? How could a bulky man glide so smoothly? perhaps because dick was undecided what to do von kettler escaped him by the time he reached the guards he knew he had escaped suddenly there came an unexpected denouement somewhere in the white house lawn a guard challenged fired the snap of one of the silenced automatics answered him when dick and the guards reached the spot the man was lying in a crumpled heap an airplane he gasped invisible airplane i bumped into it men in it the damned dogs he died dick stared around him there was no sign of any airplane on the lawn nothing but the tents of the guards white in the moonlight and the grim array of anti-aircraft guns that dick had placed there but behind the white house and hastily constructed hangars were a half dozen of the latest pursuit airships beautiful slim hulls heavily armored with armored turrets containing each a quick fire with the new armor-piercing bullets one of these ships dick's own was kept perpetually warmed and ready to take the air dick raced across the lawn yelled to the startled guard in charge the mechanics came running from the quarters Almost by the time Dick reached it, the ship was ready. He twirled the helicopter starter, and she roared and zoomed, taking an angle of 125 degrees upward off a runway of 20 yards. Into the air she soared, into the moonlight, up like an arrow for 500 feet. Dick pulled the soaring lever, and she hung there, buzzing like a bee as her helicopters, counteracting the pull of gravity, held her comparatively stable. He scanned the air all about him. Washington lay below, her myriad lights gleaming. Immediately beneath him Dick saw the guns and the tents of the soldiers, and the little group that was removing the body of the murdered soldier on a stretcher. But there were no signs of any hostile craft. Had the murdered man really bumped into an invisible airship, or had he only thought he had? Had those devils learned to apply the gas to the surfaces of airplanes? There was no reason why they should not have done so. But surely the utmost ingenuity of man had not contrived to render a modern plane, with its metalwork and machinery, absolutely transparent. And, again, how was it possible to have silenced the sound of engines, the whir of a propeller, so that there should be no auditory indication whatsoever of a plane's presence? Dick looked all about him. Nothing was in the air. He could have sworn it. He replaced the soaring lever and banked in a close circle, his glance piercing the night. No, there was nothing. Crash! Boom! The plane rocked violently, tossing upon gusts of air. A huge, gaping hole of blackness had suddenly appeared in the middle of the White House lawn. The tents were flat upon the ground. Through the rising smoke clouds Dick saw tongues of flame. No shell, that, but a bomb, and dropped from the skies less than five hundred feet from where Dick hovered. Yet there was nothing visible in the skies save the round orb of the moon. A rush of wind passed Dick's face. One of the veins of the helicopter crumpled and fluttered away into the night, Dick needed no further persuasion. The dead soldier had not lied. Von Kettler had begun the fulfillment of his threat. End of section four recording by Eddie Sheffield Jr. at www.eddysheffield.com